PR. It's not just a catchphrase. It's a passion. And it's a career. But sometimes, it can be a headache. So sit back and recover with this PR Hangover, a podcast of Grand Valley State University's chapter of PRSSA. I'm your host, Brady Mills, and this is probably the only hangover you'll ever look forward to. In our education as public relations professionals and public relations students, we hear from academics and we hear from professionals in different aspects, but we don't always hear from people who do both of those things. Dr. Lashonda Eady does both of those things. And as we get into the podcast, you'll see what I mean by that. But she she has dedicated her life to, to bringing scholarship to PR and PR to scholarship. And it's it's just a really interesting balance that she, she has. Um, I do want to say as a disclaimer, she shared a lot of life experience that we just, I had to cut for time purposes. But if you are at all curious about where she's been, where her career has taken her, and just her expertise, do not hesitate to reach out to her. She would be happy to speak to you. She she has been such an open book with me as a student. Um, because she's a professor who has a heart and an interest in investing in students, she just loves that. So so don't hesitate to reach out to her. All that being said, here is Dr. Lashonda Eady, APR, PhD. Welcome, everyone. Welcome back to PR Hangover. Uh, it's Brady, and I'm here with Dr. Lashonda Eady tonight. Uh, Dr. Edie is what she calls a practitioner scholar of public relations, and she's also an assistant professor at Penn State right now. And what all that means is exactly what we're going to talk about tonight. So I don't want to get too much into it before she gets a chance to introduce herself. But Dr. Edie, welcome. Thank you so much for being on the show tonight. Thank you for having me, Brady. And I'm so excited to be here with you tonight to talk some about being both a practitioner and a professor. And so, did you already ask me the question? Not yet. Just saying hi. I didn't think so. Okay, go ahead. I was going. I was going to jump right in. It's okay. Go ahead. <laughs> well, first of all, I just want to. I would want the listeners and and myself to know. Like, I, I ask guests to just describe themselves. If you could, like, if someone asks you who is Doctor Edie, what do you say? This can be personal, career based, whatever you share, whatever is part of your identity. All right. Well, it has to be all of those things, actually, that you mentioned. So, Dr. Edie, first and foremost, I am a normal person. Um, I'm a wife. I'm a mom. I'm a public relations professional and professor. Um, In my spare time, not that I have very much of it, I do like to sing and travel, but usually... Um, Most of our traveling is either home to South Carolina, where we're originally from, or traveling for work, but that's okay. (laughs) Well, thank you for sharing. Uh, Okay, so I just want to ask, your role at Penn State is fairly recent, and we were talking a little bit before the call, but how has the transition to Penn State been? Uh, Like, what what are you doing there? How is that different from before, and, and what does that look like for you now? Well, the transition so far has gone really well. Um, I think because of the pandemic, of course, things aren't exactly how they would be in the normal pre-pandemic world, but um, outside of COVID, which is really hard to even say or do, but outside of COVID, everything is going great. Um, I actually commute to Penn State weekly. So right now um, I'm speaking with you, Brady, from the Western or the mountains of Western North Carolina and Cullowee, North Carolina. Um, And tomorrow morning, I will be getting up 
before the sun rises to catch a flight out uh, to State College and I'll be there until Thursday and then I'll be back with my family after that. So, so far so good. As you said, I'm an assistant professor and before I got here, I spent four years at Southern Methodist University in Dallas um, and I had a great four years there but this opportunity came available um, at Penn State and it was just a chance in a lifetime type of thing that I could not really pass up. So fortunately, uh, our family has been able to work the whole commute thing out. And so, um, like I said earlier, so far, so good. I am uh, teaching the Ad PR research class this semester. And next semester, I'll be teaching an online graduate research class as well as the campaigns class. Okay, wow. So you've, you've got a full plate, but it sounds like things are going well. Good. Okay, so um, I, I want to ask you, so your name on LinkedIn and your official title, Dr. LaShonda Eady, PhD, APR. Uh, talk to us about this combo here. What are, what are I mean, this, this is, I'm sure you have a lot to say about this, but if you could, if you could talk about for yourself, what does that mean? Like, what are your experiences in academia that you've had? You mentioned Southern Methodist University. And then what are your practical experiences in PR and how, how do you marry the two? That is a great question. So yes, I am very proud of all of those letters and I definitely hold the APR uh, credential in as high as regards as I do the PhD. I even have had that longer than the doctorate. And um, I don't wanna say what year it was, but just a few years ago, I too was an undergraduate student in PRSSA at the University of Tennessee. And um, fortunately through PRSSA and really great uh, professors and mentors from the PRSA chapter there, I really was exposed to a lot of great opportunities in undergrad. And um, I knew, you know, I, I was very intent to make sure that the major I was in was one that I would love and that I could, you know, grow in and that I would be interested in because what I really did not want to do was waste four years and then graduate and do something entirely different than I just went to school to do. And not to say that there's anything wrong with that, but for me personally, I just felt like why in the world would I do that? So um, because of that, I started trying to get internships very early. So my very first internship, I think I only had intro to PR. That's the only class I ever had. And I had just finished it the month before I started the internship. Um, and it was at the South Carolina Educational Television Station, which is the PBS affiliate uh, for South Carolina. And even though I only had one class, I knew enough to write a press release. I knew enough to, uh, you know, start to talk about other communication strategy. And so it was a really great introduction um, into the whole field. And so as I continued throughout my undergraduate career, I still sought different internships because I wanted to also experience different facets of the industry, not just be uh, have my internship experience only be in one area. So I'm trying to think, I'm trying to think of the order of them because it's been a while. So after ETV, um, I actually think the following summer, I actually studied abroad in Madrid, but um, I think the next internship would have been, oh my goodness, I should remember this. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, 
The next one actually, I think, was at GMMB Incorporated, which is a communications agency um, in DC in the Georgetown area. And so I spent my uh, spring semester there of my junior year and helped with the airbag and seatbelt safety campaign. And under that campaign is actually Click It or Ticket, which I'm sure mm -hmm. if you haven't heard of it, Brady, I'm sure at least a few people have. Um, and this agency is actually, you know, this was their brainchild back in the 80s when seatbelt usage was extremely low. And so I was fortunate to um, get to help with that. And so as soon as that was done in May, uh, my mom and I hopped in a car and drove all the way to Newton, Iowa. Don't know if you all have heard of it, but uh, the reason I went there is because I was interning at Maytag, and that was where um, the headquarters were for Maytag Corporation. They are no longer there. That's a whole other story. They got bought by a competitor, Whirlpool, so um, many of those folks were relocated. But at the time, uh, their headquarters was still there, and I was a public relations intern, and I was really fortunate while I was there, too, to have an internship supervisor that really allowed me to do more than grunt work. So I was able to plan an event for editors from Meredith Publications, which is located in Des Moines, Iowa, which is not very far from Newton, and so I got to plan that from start to finish. I got to work with um, all of the engineer, engineers and product developers to see, you know, what products we could showcase while the um, editors for like Better Homes and Gardens and those types of magazines, Midwest Living, while they visited, I got to um, work with graphic designers for the creative. So really the whole gambit of that event, um, I got to help with. I also got to help escort the Maytag men at events. Um, I got to help with some news releases about uh, rebates. I got to do all kinds of things and it was a really great experience. I would have loved to go back to Maytag had it been located anywhere other than Newton, Iowa in the middle of soybean and cornfields, I think. But it was a really great experience. I got to go to the Iowa State Fair, which I hear is something you have to do if you are um, in Iowa and definitely if you are from Iowa. Um, and so after that, during my senior year um, at Tennessee, I also interned at Scripps Networks in Knoxville, Tennessee. And that is the organization that owns HGTV, DIY, Fine Living, uh, I think now they also own Great American Country, which at the time they didn't. And so there, even though it was TV again, it was different than what I experienced at the educational television station um, and that it was much more um, consumer driven and, and just a different type of programming. And so there I got to learn more about the ins and outs of media relations and that type of environment and trying to secure coverage for uh, their celebrities and all kinds of things as well. So that was great. And um, right after that, I graduated and I thought, wow, you know, I have, I've had, I think five internships in undergrad. So, you know, definitely I'll get a job. And um, I think right around the time I had gone to DC to intern, I actually met this guy, um, and he was already living in Orlando, Florida as a band director, had already graduated college. And even though I am a free bird and I do not follow behind men or anyone else, for whatever reason, I decided after graduation that we would pack all my things up and I would move to Orlando. And 
I did not have a network in Orlando. None of my previous internships uh, were there. So I basically was starting from scratch and um, it was exciting, but it was, you know, a challenge as well because none of my experience had even been in the state of Florida. It was not on my radar until right near the end of my undergraduate career. And honestly, PRSSA and PRSA are the reason I even was able to find anything in that market because it was very competitive at the time where you had, um, you know, public relations professionals with a lot of years of experience who really wanted to move to that area and were willing to take, you know, perhaps an entry level job just to get there. And so I was competing with all of that fresh out of college. And so um, what ended up happening is that I had an advanced internship with Disney. Um, and so I was working in their public affairs department and that department was responsible for crisis communications for the parks and resorts there in Lake Buena Vista, Florida. And of course, with my family, you know, they would ask, okay, so what are you doing after graduation? And then I said, oh, I'm doing an internship. They would kind of, you know, give me the side eye or look funny and say, oh, another internship. And I'm like, yes, another internship. But Brady, it honestly ended up being probably one of the best decisions that I could have made moving into that market because it opened so many doors. And actually I learned about that opportunity from a PRSA luncheon that I drove down there just to attend so that I could start to network in that area. And even though it was an advanced internship, they treated it again, like an entry-level position. And so did I get to do crisis management on behalf of Walt Disney World? Of course not. But what I did get to do was be a part of and witness this really um, finely tuned machine work. And so I got to see about this strategy and about how they approach things. But I also got to help with proactive um, public relations as well and help them with some of their uh, community relations type things and um, other events that they were doing on the community side as well. And so directly from that job, I technically my first real job was at um, a blood center it's called Florida's Blood. Uh, blood centers, they don't call it a blood bank. So that's why I'm intentionally not, not saying blood bank, but it really was more of a marketing job. The money was great. I was eligible for bonuses, but I knew that it was not what I wanted to do. And so I was very intent that I would not stay in that job long enough where I felt like I had to stay for the money. So by that time, um, I think that guy and I were engaged to be married and I stayed long enough to get a couple bonuses to help pay for the wedding. And I actually started a new job, I think the week of the wedding or two weeks before. And that was in internal communications, which I think sometimes people don't want to do internal communications because they want to do the external um, type thing. But I really think internal communications is also a great entry into an organization because it forces you to learn about the organization really fast because you're helping to relay messages on behalf of various departments. And in my case, I was even doing ghostwriting for some of the um, C-suite. So sometimes for the CEO or the chief human resources officer. So things that normally an entry-level person wouldn't get to do, I did 
just because I was working in internal communications. And that was at Florida Hospital, uh, which at the time was one of the largest providers of Medicare and Medicaid services in the country. And so I got to do that. I definitely had to work on how to tailor messages for my audiences, because in one moment, I might be speaking to the general employee base. And in the next moment, like I said, I might be helping to craft messaging for leaders and executives. So that really helped me fine tune those skills as well. Um, I also got to work in media relations and crisis communication some while I was there too, which was really great. Um, and while I was there, I also earned my accreditation, which was really important to me. And I actually, I think I actually applied for that about a year before you were supposed to. But after uh, consulting with my mentors there in Orlando, I felt like I probably had enough to go ahead and sit for the readiness review panel, which I think they call it something else now. But basically, um, in order for you to even take the computer-based exam for that accreditation, you have to first sit uh, before a panel of other accredited public relations professionals, and you have to present kind of um, your body of work, and you have to demonstrate how what you've done shows strategic public relations. And so, Brady, I don't know which acronym you all use in public relations there, but there's like race or there's RPI, or there is ropes. Um, but basically, yeah, I see you nodding. Which one yeah, do you we, want? We, we go by race, yep. Okay, see, yep. I had race as yep. an undergrad too, but um, at SMU, they actually used ropes, which is all basically the same. And so um, for APR, they use RPI, uh, which is basically, like I said, the same. And so you just have to demonstrate that. And like I was saying when I was talking about my internships, fortunately, my internships combined with the, the work that I had done at the hospital was enough for me to be able to demonstrate that, yes, I understand about strategic public relations. I know um, the important components of a campaign. I know how to research it at the beginning, but also evaluate it at the end and everything in between. And so I actually earned my accreditation. What year was it? I think my letter actually, my letter to say congratulations actually came when I was in the hospital after I had my first child. I was pregnant going through the process too. So what year would that have been? 2009. And I, and I graduated undergrad in 2005. So um, four years after that, um, definitely a really great thing. And I was fortunate that the public relations chapter that I was a part of in Orlando, um, they had and still have a really robust program that helps people prepare for that and it's free. So for a whole semester, you go to weekly sessions where people come in and talk about the different um, letters in the RPI acronym and also give you guidance about how to prepare for that panel. <clears throat> so it, it was a, a really great resource and I'm so glad that I did it. And I don't know if I said this, but when I was in undergrad, I consider myself like, if there was a Miss PR or Miss PRSSA, that was definitely me. And I was all about all of it and so eager to graduate and work in the field. But at the same time, I knew eventually I wanted to also teach. And <clears throat> as an undergrad, I had some professors that I could tell were really there for the students and you know cared the most about that. And then unfortunately I had some that 
really were only teaching because they had to and only cared about their research. And um, University of Tennessee is what's called a research one or R1 university, where oftentimes that is the priority, which seems really ironic, you know, that any university prioritizes re research over teaching, but it is the case um, at some places. And so anyways, I knew that when I did teach, I wanted to make sure that I had practical experience and I wasn't, you know, a lifetime student. And that's not a knock to people who did go straight through and are in the classroom now. But for me personally, I really wanted to make sure that I could bring real world knowledge into the classroom when I, whenever I did go back. And Brady, I thought that I would go back, I thought I would go back maybe in my 40s or 50s after I was done having a family, had worked my way up the corporate ladder to be chief marketing or chief communications officer, made a lot of money, had a little nest egg where I could take a really big pay cut to be a professor. And that was going to be kind of like my second career, you know? And, you know, things rarely go as we plan and that's totally okay. So after I worked at Florida Hospital for, I think it was about five years, I had already planned to go back and get my master's part-time. And situations happened to where I actually ended up doing it full-time at the University of Central Florida. And as I worked on my thesis, I realized I cannot write a dissertation. Like I can't do this. And I guess then it would have been in 20 or 30 years. And so I decided I wanted to continue and get my doctorate. And so um, because my husband was already working and was a high school band director and was in his dream job there, um, <clears throat> excuse me. At first, he was not on board with us having to move for me to do my doctorate because there were no doctoral programs in Orlando. I would have had to commute to do it. And at that time, we had just had our, our second child. So she was a, a, a newborn and it just wasn't feasible. And lo and behold, my husband went to a music conference in Chicago for music educators. And I don't know what happened at that conference. But when I picked him up from the airport, he said, I want to go back to school full time. And I said, who are you and what did you do with my husband? But I am totally down. And so immediately I texted, um, immediately I texted my thesis advisor and said, OK, so what are the best places to go for me to get a doctorate? And he kind of did the same thing. And we came up with our short lists um, and then we come you know, compared, and then we decided what three schools we would apply to. And one thing that I do like to share with people is that before we even got to that point, when I was trying to still get the doctorate, I was considering getting a business doctorate. And I applied in the UC, to the UCF Business School. I applied to the University of South Florida in Tampa and um, more than one time. And I got denied every single time. And I'm not embarrassed to say that, but I like sharing that because just because something is deferred doesn't mean that it's denied. And I'm so glad that those things didn't pan out because that's not really what I wanted to do. And it was something that I was just trying to make fit my situation. And so even though I was disappointed about that at the time, it really ended up working out for my good because like I said, my husband had a complete change of heart and then we were able to move a whole family uh, for me to get my doctorate and for him to get his master's at the University of Georgia. And so um, 
I think it took a little bit of courage and a lot of crazy or maybe, you know, different proportions of that for us to kind of leave everything with two small children, both go back to school full time, but we both were very, you know, we knew what we wanted to do and um, we were operating with purpose, you know, and we were driven to, to get that done. And so it ended up being a really great opportunity. And I think I'm gonna get to your question and I think I'm answering it as I say all this, but as I, you know, the research that I do is in crisis communication and I don't know how much you all know about getting a doctorate or a PhD, but really what a PhD is, is a research degree. And a lot of people, I don't think, realize that, which is really unimportant if you aren't getting one <laughs> or interested in getting one, but it's, <clears throat> it's a research degree. And so when you go and get your doctorate in whatever discipline it is, it's totally about research. And so that's what is really emphasized um, when you are a doctoral student. And really the research in a lot of cases trumps everything. Um, like people don't even know that typically when you are in a doctoral program and about to become a professor at another institution, they don't teach you how to teach. Like that degree is not like nowhere in the course um, schedule or progression is there anything about teaching. Now there are things that you can do, you know, uh, that are optional on the side that you can do as the student to learn more about pedagogy, but it's not a part of that because that's not really the intent of that degree. <clears throat> but for me, um, kind of one of the things that, not at the beginning, but as you continue to matriculate through the doctoral program, you kind of have to decide what distinguishes you as, you know, a researcher basically. And so for me, when I thought about it, it was public relations and, and I was trying to think, you know, you know, am I a practitioner first? Or am I a scholar first? And that was an interesting question to have to contemplate because as I said, it's a research degree and that's what the emphasis is on, right? And so, you know, my mind would say, well, you better be a researcher first because that's what everybody is expecting. And probably your potential employers at other universities, the ones you would apply to, are also expecting you to be a researcher. But when, when I actually thought about it, if I was gonna remain true to who I am, why I do what I'm doing, is really about the profession first. And so that's why I refer to myself as a practitioner scholar, and I'm very intentional that the practitioner part is first because the industry, my love and zeal for public relations is why I do what I do um, professionally. So when that was, you know, when I was working in the industry full time, it was because I was passionate about that. And even when I decided to go back and get my graduate degrees, it was still about building up the profession. And so while at times I do miss actually being, you know, the boots on the ground and doing the work, I really am honored to help, you know, groom and teach the future uh, public relations professionals. And that's really exciting to me as well, because it's a huge responsibility. And I try as often as I can to, you know, do contract work so I can still be, um, you know, 
keeping up with the trends in the industry. That's why I maintain my membership with PRSA and the local chapter. Um, what is the Dallas chapter right now, but I'm probably gonna have to move that, that uh, membership somewhere else. But ultimately all that I'm doing, all that I'm teaching and in my research even is all about building the profession and helping those who actually do it. And unfortunately, in some cases, there are researchers who are doing research just for the sake of doing it. And that's really not what I'm about. Um, if there are no practical applications of it, I'm not really interested in it because that, that does not um, fulfill my purpose, um, I, that I feel my purpose is in life, at least from a professional perspective. And so that's kind of what this whole practitioner scholar is. And, and to be honest, I'll end with this because this was a really long answer and you're supposed to be interviewing me. Um, it it is risky for me to say that, you know, the practice comes before the scholar as far as I'm concerned. And for me, I'm comfortable doing that because I don't want to work at a place that is unwilling to accept that for me, I'm a professional first, that I'm a public relations practitioner before I'm a scholar and that that's okay. There's nothing wrong with it. Um, and so I'm okay, even if it is considered blasphemy in some places, that's who I am. And so I have to remain true to that. Hmm. Yeah. Well, thank you for that. I, I, I guess my, my question out of that is um, how do you, how do you convince students on either side of, or, or, I mean, maybe professionals on either side of that, the ones that are leaning way towards um, practitioner or like in the field work. And then those who are leaning way towards scholarship, how do you, I mean, obviously your goal is to bridge that gap. So um, mm -hmm. if you could, like, like, what is your pitch to them to get them to understand the importance of each other, you know? So I think that's a great question because there is definitely this huge, um, you know, bridge or gap between the academy and profession. And I don't think that it's unique to public relations or communication. You know, people like to say, well, that's great in theory, but not in practice. And, you know, really, that's not true. And so... Um, what I try to do on both ends, every, every opportunity that I can, I try to show how, you know, the research can and should always have practical application and it shouldn't be an afterthought to try to just, you know, squeeze in a paragraph at the end of your research paper that says, oh, well, you know, perhaps practitioners could do this, you know, as a result of these findings. Like, no, it should be it should be ingrained in all the, you know, in your whole research process. And for me, it definitely is. And so whenever I'm working and collaborating, it, I think I'm pretty sure it's apparent that, you know, that's very important to me. And so I do that. And in the classroom from day one, I tell my students, even if you don't think what you're going to learn in this class, like research, particularly um, I hope that by the end of the class or even before then, much before then, you'll see how it is, you know, it's applicable. What we're learning is applicable to your everyday life. And so I just look for constant examples of that. I use my own examples from when I was in the industry. And I also bring industry professionals in and they speak directly to what we're studying at that time. So if we're studying race, the race acronym, not race, ethnicity, race, 
But if we're studying that acronym, then why not have a professional come in and show you how they follow that same process? To me, the proof is in the pudding. If that that industry person is coming to you as a, as a class of students and saying, here's how we follow this process. But at the same time, I keep it real with my students and say, yes, this, this is a very nice recipe. And ideally, this is how public relations campaigns should happen. But in the real world, it might not. And so that's okay. And if you get to an internship or if you get to a job and they don't, you don't have to say, well, y'all are wrong. And Dr. Edie said that really you need to be following this process exactly like this. But because you know that ideally that's what you should be aiming for, then you can make contributions immediately by just saying, how about we do this? And not only are you helping to bring value to your department as a whole, but you already have become a value added to that organization by making those contributions that for whatever reason, uh, people either weren't considering or just maybe weren't taking the time to incorporate. And so um, I would say from the academic side, that's how I do it. And then from the professional side, honestly, it's much easier for me. And I think that APR credential gives me a little street cred, you know, Brady. So when they see those acronyms together, not acronyms, those abbreviations together, those, um, you know, the titles, PhD, APR, then at least most public relations professionals, even if they aren't accredited themselves, they know what that is. And so they know that I'm not just a textbook student that I actually know about the industry because they also know I have to maintain that accreditation by continuing education uh, or obtaining continuing education um, credits and professional development. And so it really helps me when I do wanna work with professionals. And because I can also kind of talk the lingo as well because I actually did that work and I try to do it when I get you know opportunities now. I think that really helps me. And the other thing is that for my research, it is, of course, for me to obtain tenure. And I'm at an R1 university now. Scholarly publications are really important, really of utmost importance for me to get tenure. But for me, it's also important for me to you know, gain mainstream recognition because for me to ultimately do what I wanna do and for practitioners, to benefit from the research that I do, that's how I need to do it. And so I take every opportunity I can to speak to uh, practitioner audiences that aren't just academic um, audiences. And in some academic circles that, um, you know, it doesn't, it, I don't know how I wanna say this, but you basically don't get the same credit that you do for that type of stuff as you would an academic professional, uh, an academic presentation. But fortunately, where I've worked so far, like I said earlier with them accepting who I am and being okay with that, they do find value in that as well. And so um, that's one of the really great things uh, about SMU where I was working before, but also Penn State as well. They understand the importance of that and they also value it. And so it's not a problem, but yeah, every opportunity I get, I'm speaking, you know, um, to public relations professionals and um, making sure of course that I tailor my message to a practitioner audience versus, you know, academics because they speak way different. 
Um, Which but really, also uh, you're, you're trying to breed it. I, I was just gonna say real quick, you're really, you're practicing public relations at its finest, you know, trying to be at that high level. I think that's really cool. You're targeting it to your audience. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to do. And so, um, I'm really fortunate that even though I didn't work as long as I wanted to full-time in the industry, I was there long enough and was able to make enough connections through PRSSA and PRSA that I still rely on those networks now and I'm still in touch with them as well. And so, um, you know, sometimes when they get certain opportunities, they'll reach out to me and I do the same for them, you know, with my students and trying to connect them with things or even in research. And so um, I think I kind of get to enjoy the best of both worlds in that regard. Um, and I hope moving forward that I even get to do a bit more kind of consulting and actually getting out there and doing it. But right now, I live vicariously through my students that have clients in my classes um, and through uh, the little bit of contract work that I get to do throughout the summer usually. So, I mean, I, we, we do have to wrap up here, unfortunately, but I, I do want to ask you if, you, if you have to look a student in the eyes and tell them one piece of advice for how, they, how they're looking at their future, you know, I mean, you've been through it all where you, you've done the APR, you've done the, pra the practitioner work, you've done the scholarship, um, and one student is looking at you, um, what, what do you say to them? <clears throat> Let's see. That's hard. One if thing. You have to convince Katie, it. I know you spend all semester. Here. Oh my gosh. One thing. Um, I think I would say just, just stay true to yourself and figure out, you, you know, you might not know what that is or, or truly who you are yet, but do all you can mm. to figure that out because that can be your compass and should be your compass for everything else. And so um, even if it's taking you, like I went from the industry to, to um, academe, even, even if it's something like that, or, you know, going to different industries, if you know who you are as a person, that's most important, but also who you are as a professional, I really think that can guide you to whatever you want to accomplish and whether it stays the same or changes that doesn't really matter as long as you make sure that you're staying true to yourself and that will allow you knowing and being able to articulate who you are and be confident in that will help you get connected with the right people at the right times in the right places even when you don't mean for it to happen and so um I think being intentional is important and so figuring that out is very very um, critical, but also don't get caught up in looking at what your peers are doing or what they've accomplished or what accolades they have, because every person has to walk um, their own path. And that's fine. That's completely fine. But as long as you stay true to who you are, it's going to all work out in the end. Even if there are some bumps in the road, you'll end up exactly where you're supposed to be. Well, that was just stellar. Thank you. <laughs> I'm glad you think so. I mean, a long answer to your question. No, for sure. I, I, I just think that's some invaluable information or some invaluable advice. Um, just thinking about, I, I think that is something people do. They, they compare themselves and they don't think about, okay, what is, what is best for me to use my talents and my gifts and my education towards the future? So thank you. Um, and I, I guess, I guess go like, like leaving this, um, are there any, is there anything that you wish people would ask you, but they don't? 
um, or any, any questions come to mind that either about your experience, um, things you think students should be asking, but they aren't asking, anything come to mind? I'm trying to think. I think maybe um, don't be afraid to ask questions. You know, it, it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay not to know. And the and and if it's you know a yes or no question, the worst that could happen is that the answer is no. But if you don't ever ask, you would never know. And so um, I definitely think is is perfectly fine to admit that you don't know something. I tell my students that on the first day of class that. I'm not going to BS if I don't know the answer to something. I'm going to tell you that I don't know, which is completely fine because nobody knows everything. Um, but I'll get back to you and try to find the answer out. And so um, asking questions of your professors now and of your mentors is totally fine and is actually advisable because, yes, ultimately you make your own decisions, but it definitely helps to have a variety of input and to be able to kind of pull on different people's experiences and then to determine what still makes the most sense for you. So rely on those networks and those mentors and the worst question is one that you don't ask. And uh, yeah, I think, I think that that would be it. And that applies undergrad, grad school, anything, um, because just because it hasn't been offered to you or presented to you doesn't mean that it's not a possibility. It just means that nobody before you ever asked. Well, thank you. Thank you so much. It's, it's just been a treat having you on here. And, and the, the, I, just, I just feel like your perspective is, is unique. I think a lot of professors attempt to have that same angle, but I just I appreciate the way you approach this conversation. So thanks for being on here. Well, good. Thank you for inviting me. I'm so it was great. Too bad we couldn't like be in person, but maybe in the future I can visit Grand Valley State um, and see Dr. Wallace who rocks. And um, I'm sure somehow Brady, you can give everybody my email address. And so um, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Anybody who's watching or listening um, to the podcast, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn. Email me led at psu.edu. Check out my website, LaShondaEdie.com. Um, any of that, I'm happy to talk or just shoot the breeze uh, with any of you. And I would, would love the opportunity to meet you all too. And Brady, you did wonderfully. You're a great podcast host. Thank you very much. And best of luck to everyone. Well, thank you, Dr. Edie. Thank you. I know that to many students studying public relations, the idea of more scholarship or extra research in academia is not a thrilling idea. But I also know that there are a few out there that this is something that could really resonate with them. So if you're at all interested, do not hesitate to talk to Dr. Edie. She would be a great resource for you. And she is available at www.lashondaedie.com or Twitter at lashondaedie. Um, thank you, Dr. Edie, for being on the show. Thank you all for listening. Make sure to follow GVPRSSA on our social media. Check out our website. And we will talk to you next time on PR Hangover.